the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, where we're back from vacation. It was vacation, right? Kind of. <laughs> you took off. Vacation from podcasting, the most difficult part of your job. Which is not true, actually. We missed everybody. We missed our Helen Wolves, and we are recording on Valentine's Day, so a special sexy Valentine's Day edition. You have big plans for us, right, tonight? <laughs> oh, you mean us personally? <laughs> <laughs> Jim is abandoning me. Speaking of house lights down, he's going to some concert with other people, not me. I wasn't even invited this time. Sometimes you invite me, but... I'll be thinking of you. Um, welcome to the first Sunday Blues. I really need to shake out the, the afternoon vibe from my, from my voice, but, um, yeah, what was going on? You're, oh, Liz Sunday. What, what, what was going on again? You were preaching a sermon on anger. Is, is that like a pot shot at the Super Bowl? <laughs> kind of. Okay. I did have a Love question. Love the passive aggressiveness. So I didn't, I, I was wondering why you don't wear the colors of the team that you're rooting for on game days. I did wear green pants. But those were not eagle eagles green. It was like a forest green, yeah. They weren't even forest green. They were like army khaki green. Like, not... They were not eagles green, that's true. So, what's the deal? I don't know. I, I want to, I'm I'm non-Potterson. It's a third way walk in worldview. But that's not even true. You're like a diehard <laughs> fan. So like even on, even if it wasn't on a Sunday, like you'd be you would not be wearing Eagles gear. I just want an explanation because we've been married for <laughs> I don't know how long, and I I've never gotten a straight answer from you. But maybe here at okay. this table. I think this is one of the ways in which we're both similar. Um, neither of us like being followers or conformists. So even though I definitely am an Eagles fan, the thought of just dressing like it to fit in with everybody else buzzes my tower. So no, nah. no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the only member of our family that didn't wear Eagles gear. Well, I guess you. Well, you, yeah, you bought a T-shirt. Say. But, uh, I didn't wear it. But yeah, I I, I would have worn it if I was Eagles actually gear. going to an event, and it wasn't. It was an Eagles band T-shirt. I will also clarify. Oh, it was. It was like a tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> like not really the Eagles. It was pretty great. Um, John Falco has made some great T-shirts. For yeah, I did. Eagles I do fans. have. We don't need to discuss it. I I'm not a strong like strong. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? anti-football whatever but Mm -hmm. (laughs) i did i did intentionally my kids needed or two of them needed eagles gear for just for peer pressure's sake so i intentionally bought from a local artist rather than giving money to the nfl to the big people Ah, when football antipathy meets mom guilt (laughs) it's where we are anyway okay to your sermon which Mm -hmm. was loosely about anger i um I was serving little tiny people, tiny children in nursery on Sunday, so I didn't actually listen to your sermon until this afternoon, and I was kind of multitasking. So I don't have the usual detailed notes. I have my phone app, Hmm. um, Google Keep, where I um, wrote some things. But Are these chatbot generated notes? Oh, I should have done that, man. I wonder, yeah, can chatbot take the YouTube video and just give me some questions? (laughs) Um, we'll we we'll try that. for next week. Um, but why this sermon? Why this Sunday? So why why this Sodom Gomorrah? You're spending two sermons on this um, narrative, kind of. This was the, in, the 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 moment before Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. But I feel like it's a two parter. Yeah, I think personally. it's a two parter. Even from a quantity standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, these are two long passages. So this past Sunday, M was Genesis 18. 
The second part of the chapter is verses 16 to 33, a pretty long passage, mm-hmm. and then the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah itself next week, or this coming week, is chapter 19, verses 1 to 29. Mm-hmm. Over 60 verses for a sermon text right, is, right. Is, is just way too long. So you broke it up. You jumped back into the Genesis um, era. Genesis. Yeah. I really am lo- I don't have words today. It's really frustrating me. Um, but I know the feeling. <laughs> no, you, you have no idea. Um, <laughs> well, it was fun to jump back into the Genesis right. sermon series. It's been a little while. so Right. And so you had a lot of choices, November. a lot of direction. So what's going on here as this is your intro? Like, we're relaunching with this sermon. Yeah. What's going on? So it was kind of random in that way. We were in the Genesis sermon series for most of the fall. The last sermon slated for the Genesis sermon series before we went into a different direction for the Advent sermon series was going to be my last Sunday of my mini sabbatical in November. But as it turned out, I was conducting my mom's funeral on that on that morning. But yeah, I don't know why I laughed. Dark humor. Sorry. Watching too much succession. There we go. And it was so Ted Jordan, New Life Glassboro, we hope soon to be Liberty Glassboro this next ministry Ooh, year. Was that an announcement? Was, in the podcast? Uh, it was just a tease. Okay. Just a tease. That so he was gonna preach and I gave him the option. Sometimes with guest preachers it's a little bit of a dance back and forth. Hey, we'd love you to be a guest preacher at our church. Are you willing to hook into the sermon series that that we're doing? And most of the time, guest preachers like being able to just pull an old sermon to to preach and fitting into a new sermon series, a different sermon series when you don't have something pre-written for it is a little bit, is a much higher ask because you have to like... Actually write a sermon. Actually write, write a sermon. So <laughs> before I checked out in November, I was emailing back and forth with Ted saying, hey, Ted, it would be great if you could jump into the sermon series it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Would would you would and and the the intro to Sodom and Gomorrah? Hey, would would you wanna would you wanna do that? And he yeah, was like, like uh, no, yeah, I I don't need to do that to him. Right at Christmas season. Yeah, so, right before Christmas. So, so he preached uh, just uh, an old psalm of his sermon, which was very fair. good. But fair, so fair. yeah, so. Where we are picking up in Genesis is a little bit of just a providential luck of the draw mm-hmm. where the plan was to resume. We had the vision sermon series on Liberty's mission statement in January. We had combined Sunday and then, or it's communion Sunday now. It used to be the old combined service, mm-hmm. but I've been really looking forward to a long time, for a long time, getting back into the rhythm of just going week by week. Yeah. through Genesis and from the churches that I pastored before Liberty Collingswood, um, you remember that this was my long, my long time mojo just to, to look at, look at what passage is next and, and then see what bubbles up. Yeah. And what struck me kind of jumping back into the Genesis swimming pool, a, a little bit of an odd sermon, two points. And I guess I'm more often than not preaching sermons with two points instead of three these days. I'm innovative. And if the first point was kind of heady, and we'll talk more about that in Mudding the Waters, the the second point was about how we really need to be merciful to one mm-hmm. another. So, so I was struck by how the baseline of this passage is God saying, I, I'm going to have mercy and so that's where my head and heart space were this this week. Kind of interesting. I was listening to a podcast, church leadership podcast, a feed that I tune into a lot. Tim Keller happened to be the happened to be the guest mm-hmm. uh, for this church leadership podcast. Just just Are to disclaim, Helen Wolves, I I don't only listen to podcasts with Tim Keller. He's very rarely a guest on this specific podcast feed. Carrie Newhoff is the pastor and church leader that more often than not, does not do like super intellectual stuff, but just nitty gritty sure. of how to do church leadership stuff, which does not come to me naturally. But it was Keller. And apparently Tim Keller has a book that's newly out about forgiveness and huh. mercy. So once again, 
Keller beat me to it. That's the bottom, <laughs> that's the bottom line. So Damn shocking. it, Tim. Ah! <laughs> I, I had a great book all lined up, but then <laughs> I opened my browser and this is what it is. And just a little more orientation as we're calling it Stormy, Stormy Monday mm-hmm. here. Um, Keller went in what he said in the podcast about forgiveness and complimentary, but not exactly Wait, the same direction. Wait, are we doing a podcast about a podcast? Podcast about the podcast. <laughs> Russian nesting dolls. That's what we were talking about all right, fall. Can, right. can consider this a surveillance test balloon that we may <laughs> see where it goes from here. Uh, Keller was talking about, and I agree, and I mentioned this briefly in the sermon. It was already written in the sermon before I heard uh, Tim Keller talk about it, how... In the West, forgiveness and mercy are on the decline. Mm-hmm. And what would have been more taken for granted as within the set of commonly held cultural values as recently as a generation or two ago mm-hmm. is a lot less so. And and cancel culture is something that I think can be weaponized in ways that complaining about cancel culture is itself part of the culture wars. Right, 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 right. But I mean it in more of a neutral way just to say whether you're far right or far left, you, you do have your list of canceled people. And mm-hmm. in some ways, like, canceling people is the opposite of mercy and forgiveness, it, right. at least as far as short-circuiting dialogue. And then as we become more of a always-connected culture, when all kinds of celebrities and public figures have public falls, including pastors, but not limited there. Mm -hmm. We're just at this scrambled moment where, A, we have no idea what real forgiveness looks like when somebody messes up, and B, it's compounded because we're having to figure that out in, in real time. And it does seem like there's not a real rubric or rhyme or reason oh this person did something really bad but he or she is back doing they're back doing what they were doing as if nothing happened a year later but Mm -hmm. then these other people are never heard from again even if in some ways the offenses are were pretty similar and i'm not advocating for one course of action over over another but simply observing that we just don't know what to do with forgiveness right now. So in some ways, forgiveness is not a controversial topic, but we kind of suck at it right now. Yeah. Or it's just easy to, it's easy to walk the line of like forgive and forget, meaning just forget, forget, and not bother going through the process of actually forgiving, but just like moving on and leave it like the, it's, it's more the like, I, I do always hesitate when I think about cultural changes like the one you're describing mm-hmm. to think like way back, whatever, I don't know, um, listening to stories about your parents' farm or the farm they grew up at, yeah. um, farming land or situation, like you were stuck there, but there was still a lot of grudge holding and lack of forgiveness and... Yeah. Um, yeah. So in some ways, I mean, even when we... I mean, both things can think be about, true. Right. Anyway, so this particular moment of history, our our moment of history does seem like um, it's marked by f- at least full forgiveness or full mercy, for sure. Um, yes, and I'd, I'd go back and double-click on your, we're just forgive and forget. I would add another F. <laughs> it's a five-letter word, so... Oh, it's not the, for... <laughs> it's not the F word? <laughs> There are many F words. Oh, what are we even talking about here? So forgive, flame, and forget in, uh-huh. in, in some order where, yeah. you know, if you're wronged, you have every right to explode and be as nasty back to that person as you want to be. And in some ways, if you don't do that, you're actually undervaluing yourself as a person, which is its own set of interesting questions there. Mm-hmm. But after you just... You know, turn the other person into a crisp, then you move on, and it, and it's kind of done. Last thing, calling it Stormy Monday. I, I don't think a strength of my preaching is being practical. Like, I've heard that as a critique of my <laughs> sermons over the over the years, and I, I think it's valid. And, and it is a both-and where, hey, if 
if you want every Sunday exclusively uber practical sermons, as in like 10 tips to be a better parent or spouse or take your wife out for Valentine's Day. How, how to be a better coworker? Uh, at, at the end of the day, I'm just probably not your sermonic cup of tea. But then that doesn't mean that I should should neglect, you know, improving. Actually doing as, things. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, improving as far as being a practical, practical preacher. And so I, I hope that in the second point of the sermon about we should imitate God and his mercy, mm-hmm. hopefully there is some, like, actual practical pointers that yeah. that connected with people to get who, them to show mercy are you in practical at? ways. Can you forgive them? Yeah. Who are you angry Not at? Not a bad idea. <laughs> I I am a deer. No natural enemies. <laughs> Cute little cuddly deer. Um, okay, well, moving on to Sun Studios and how this sermon specifically got made. Presence of the Lord time. Um, tell us about Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so I think the next, you were actually even setting it up to say that next week is the harder sermon, the more challenging one, but, um, what did you, what did you see here? What was the, what was the part that like spoke to you or, or, or made this message of, um, anger and mercy clear to you? For this podcast, um, I'll, I'll put it this way. We'll table some of the questions about Sodom and Gomorrah themselves until next week. And if this is sort of the prelude to Sodom and, Sodom and Gomorrah, sorry that my voice cracked just then, the prelude to Sodom and, and Gomorrah, at some level the text itself is pretty straightforward. So for this section, I'll, let, I'll mention a couple of interpretive questions that I didn't get to in, in the sermon, but on the surface... God deliberates first within himself and then lets Abraham in on the fact that there's an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. They're doing really horrible things. I think I need to go visit Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment. And then Abraham, in a pretty striking combination of boldness and humility, kind of says, hey, can I negotiate you towards towards mercy and you have this circular back and forth if there's 50 righteous mm-hmm. in Sodom in Sodom will you spare the city yes and then down to 45 40 30 20 10 and then God says yeah for the sake of the righteous remnant I I will not destroy mm-hmm. and I think this is the only time that we see Abraham in an intercessory role before before God. So this is more of a priestly function than you normally see uh, for Abraham's. Do you want to just mostly pausing on the yeah. word intercessory for people who like genuinely for yeah. people who might not understand that term or priestly role? What, what right. we're talking about. So Abraham is interceding, is stepping in uh, to negotiate a different path forward with God as it relates to what he's going to do with Sodom. So an intercessor is sort of like the middleman or middle person, where instead of God directly relating to Sodom, in this case in judgment, Abraham steps in as an intermediary or intercessor to plead for another course of action, which in this case, which in this case is successful. The, uh, and on that score too, kind of the the two ways forward that I th- was thinking about, how do I relate this story forward to the cross? Because mm-hmm. every sermon right. preached in a Christian pulpit right. needs to center on Jesus crucified and resurrected. I, I almost went in the direction of Jesus being the greater intercessor mm-hmm. right. for, for, for Abraham, which I think would have been fine. Uh, it's a double-edged sword when... If you try to take an Old Testament passage forward connected to the cross in the New Testament, if the passage isn't directly referenced, it goes in two directions. You don't want to be dogmatic about, hey, this Old Testament passage X means this in terms of mm-hmm. how it relates to the gospel because there's no there's no explicit connection made. Uh, but then the flip side is you have freedom to t- take it sure. in different interpretive directions, trusting that 
all roads lead to Rome, right. or in this case, to Golgotha and uh, the, the the place of, of the skull. So would have been fine. And I'm sure there are Christian sermons that have said Jesus is the greater intercessor pleading for mercy before God. He mm-hmm. is at uh, God's right hand, uh, whoever lives and pleads for me, like we sing in the song. <laughs> but instead, I, and this was including for rhetorical effect, and it plays on this idea of, like, why the numbers? Why 50 as opposed mm-hmm. to another number? And this is the, one of the first, the first of the three interpretive questions that I want to trace to. Why does it stop at 10? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and what happens if it's nine? Uh-huh. Uh, and, or, you know, eight and a half when somebody's kind of halfway there. The, you could say that the, the search for the righteous carries forward from here throughout history. And we might think to ourselves that, hey, our God and Father, what if there's a lot more than 50 righteous? The question is actually, what if there's a lot less Mm -hmm. in reality? And Mm -hmm. so the search for the righteous in the context of the gospel takes the under on this story Hmm. where not 50, not 45, not 40, not 30, not 20, not 10, but really there's only one. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is the righteous remnant who, by virtue of his death and resurrection, um, God, God shows mercy to the, to the many. So I had fun with that Christological connection there. Then on to the interpretive questions. Uh, Commentaries do wrestle with the fact why these specific numbers and why to, why does God stop at, stop at 10? as opposed to a different set of numbers, why doesn't he go all the way down to, to one? And I guess I'll raise the question, but there's no real consensus about, sure. uh, about an answer. I, I mentioned in the sermon that this, this feels like a stylized dialogue. Sure. I, I don't want to push that too far because it kind of can run afoul of doc, doctrine of scripture stuff. So we trust that when God interacts with a human being, throughout the scriptures that what we have in recorded in scripture is without error as it records that 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 back and forth but the writers do take i think a you know mainstream high view of scripture still allows that there is some interpretive choices that mm-hmm. writers make a classic example is in the Gospels in the Book of Acts, where you see sermons by Jesus, sermons by Peter and and Paul, you'll have a different point saying the Book of Acts. Note that the church had gathered for a church in a specific spot had gathered for hours to hear Paul, but then the recorded sermon from Paul, if you read it out loud, is only a couple of minutes. So mm-hmm. the inference is, you know, were they just doing a lot of singing right. that night? No, but more or maybe they were they were doing a lot of singing but what we have in the book of acts is luke the author of acts condensing down and making interpretive choices so these are inspired and errant summaries right of of what um peter and paul uh preached preached on so just conceptually abraham lifting this to god would not it wouldn't necessarily be if 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 there was a dictaphone or mm-hmm. an iPhone recorder, would it necessarily have That's been true. exactly what is a like this? The so so I don't know, but it but even as we think about and these are not exact parallels, but ancient Hebrew literature with ancient Greek stuff. Uh, so kind of interesting. The Book of Job has some similar features to ancient Greek drama in, in some ways, in terms of the, the stylized back and forth. So that's a factor, but I, at the end of the day, I still don't have a firm sense of mm-hmm. Y10 and not another. And before I move on to numbers two and three here, what what's your take on the numbers? Do you have an answer? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Helen Wolves, if, if, if you were sitting there <laughs> thinking, I don't care, you know, you have an ally <laughs> in the host of this very show. But but here's one that I think is, there's a little more at stake here. God says, okay, for the sake of the righteous remnant, I'm going to spare Sodom. But what happens in 
the very next story, Sodom's destroyed. Right. So yeah. that is a bigger question, which you're addressing next week, I suppose. Uh, I'm kind of not going <laughs> to address. Well, I, I'm going to address a lot of questions. I hope with with the destruction of of Sodom and Gomorrah, and 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 maybe I'll mention this. It can seem like a contradiction where God says, "Okay, I'll spare the city," but then next chapter, the exact opposite happens. It seems like the best way forward is to say the interaction of Lot's entertaining the angels that come into Sodom and the aftermath of this interplay between assault being attempted against the angels, Lot offering his own daughters up to assault, which is pretty crazy, and we're going to have to talk about that in, mm-hmm. in, in the sermon, kind of that combination of wickedness is itself the precipitating event that moves the mercy dial back towards judgment because there's a specific heinousness here um and really the only the the innocent people in that story are the angels and lot's daughters Mm -hmm. uh, and they are in fact saved so 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 there is a preservation there but this relates to the third thing there are more critical biblical scholars that say that this story is an intentional contradiction of the the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Hmm. giving an alternate perspective on different facets of God's character. So whether or not, you know, this Bible critic will say whether or not the destruction of Sodom is historically accurate at all, we have God as judge, but then you also have God as merciful. merciful. So the prelude actually pulls you back from only thinking about God as judge. Hmm. That I, I don't feel permitted to go in that direction based on doctrine of scripture stuff, mm-hmm. and instead would say both things are true of God's character, but as these character traits play themselves out in the history taking place in these stories, like I just said, there's something else that happens in Sodom that mm-hmm. that moves God away from a position of pure mercy that, that he said that he would take earlier. But interesting set of questions there. Got it. Um, Which is why it's fun to write sermons. And I, I missed doing that in January when I pretty much was preaching other people's sermons. Or sure. Just kind of <laughs> waiting. You're back. I'm back. <laughs> um. Well, moving to muddying the waters and just the some of the concepts that you're yep. addressing, um, your this this big like central human nature concept was um, the the message of don't get mad, get even, and how it like permeates our culture in many ways. Yeah, which I think it, it's that's definitely true. You're, um, I was. I was thinking at the very beginning. I wrote this down in my small amount of notes that mm-hmm. like. I, I don't think I've ever actually conceived of actually being violent towards anyone. You mean like physically? Yeah. Or, or like may, what you think, like emotionally, but I'm probably more towards emotional violence. You have violence. perpetrated much emotional violence against me. Well, th- I'm, I agree I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would agree with that. But I'm just saying like, it just never even strikes me as something that's even remotely, I, I have like zero or negative zero, negative five, negative a hundred yeah. desire to like injure someone on purpose. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's fair. But but before we say that you're this absolute yeah, angel, I, I know. there's some enculturation in various directions there. But you're right. And I you know, people will be surprised to hear that I've I myself have never thrown a punch at another at another human being. Just inanimate objects. <laughs> Just walls. <laughs> um, yeah. So 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 the don't get mad, get even in those sorts of situations. Like we're not seriously contemplating physical physical retaliation. Right. But the actual sense of anger or emotion of anger, like and not wanting to let go of um, anger towards someone or something. That's definitely that definitely resonates. Yeah, for sure. So you're addressing a context of people who are in that state of like anger and we can cue all the anger jokes here right now <laughs> we might as well address that also Where, where's my laugh track button <laughs> how many anger I need that jokes? In sermons. like what were the anger jokes did you ever have a time where you 
disliked anger jokes? I feel like you don't mind them. No, I've, I've never disliked or jokes about my last, last name. name. Right. No, I, I've never resented jokes about my last name because my last name is cooler than your last name. <laughs> I mean, my so, last name is the same. Well, I meant the impersonal you, so. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, I... This this last name is awesome, baby. Do you some, feel like some people marry has, for money? You married for last names. Has anyone like actually come up with a good last name anger joke, like where where it actually seems to fit, or it's just funnier than other people? The the two last names I've found that are better than better than anger, and sometimes they, in in each case, it it works with the first name. So when I was in middle school a book of Greek and Roman mythology by Edith Hamilton. It's been through a lot of editions. So like all of the standard stories, it was illustrated by a guy named Steel Savage. <laughs> so you'd rather have Savage I'd, than Anger? Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd, so I'd rather have Savage specifically with Steel. And then there was a co-worker of my dad's when he was at this engineering firm in New Orleans. His name was Gavin Fury. <laughs> And that's an awesome name, <laughs> Gavin Fury. Wait, but they're yeah, so they're so, all still centering the around the same like emotional template. I never thought Anger. of that before. <laughs> Anger, Fury, <laughs> Savage. Right. Um, yeah, those are the lastly, big three. Lastly, is there anyone in your current context who calls you Anger aside from your like high school friends? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're they're. That's a you, challenge, Liberty College. What's one of you out there? I went through long periods in high school where I, I had forgotten that I had a first name. <laughs> I, I may have mentioned this in podcasts before, but but my other nickname in high school was Misery because there was a... There, there was I don't a, even remember that. There, there was a uh, the band Metallica. There was a Metallica song. Was it Enter... I, I, it could have been Enter Sandman, the song. But... Uh, there's a there's a key point in a Metallica in a Metallica song that goes, anger, misery, you'll suffer unto me. <laughs> and and so at first it was you know people would walk by walk by in the hallway and they just go anger, misery, <laughs> and then it just became misery. <laughs> um. Yeah. But that, that's misery new, not as good as Fury Savage or anger. That's a new story to me, by the way. Okay, there we go. Uh, you learn something. You every are welcome. Day. Um, so, so what mercy and forgiveness. Yeah, what's the context you're trying to engage here as you um, address the concept of mercy, showing mercy and not anger? Not getting mad, getting getting even doesn't work. And let's imagine ourselves with all of the hurts and wounds that we carry, yet at the same time not continuing to vilify the people that have hurt us, we would be better, more whole, freer, happier versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the if we don't forgive people, it's just it's disobeying the gospel, number one, and it just eats us up, number two. I I did try to give the practical qualification at the end where Mercy and forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean restoration of relationship. That's mm-hmm. a whole that's a whole can of worms right. in itself. And there are plenty of whether it's safety or <clears throat> irrevocable lack of trust or trust being broken when it's just impossible to mm-hmm. reset a relationship when when harm has occurred. But you should still try to move towards mercy and forgiveness, even under those circumstances. And it, it's just a better way of being a human being and, and more pleasing to God. And a lot of our mental anguish comes when we, when, when, when we don't forgive. And it, the whole thing is it's easy to be merciful and forgive people that haven't actually harmed us in the first place. But right. for the real hurts and the real harms, even though the, the wound will scar over, it's one of those things where if you don't move towards mercy and forgiveness, every once in a while that that wound is going to reopen, and then sure. you're it's sort of like a you know a computer or a phone that mysteriously will go back to like five updates ago when oh I thought I worked through this I thought I was feeling better about this person or this situation no there's just been more time mm-hmm. but then when we remember again or something else happens we're tweaked back into this huge 
situation of rage where right. we realize I actually haven't forgiven at all. Well, that is probably a marriage counseling thing that I would agree that I have. <laughs> I well, have uh, maybe we <laughs> executed. Maybe we've worked that into <laughs> our premarital counseling with various um, over the years. Yeah, so so just trying to figure out how to become people of more forgiveness, and, sure. you, and you need Jesus for it. Sure. Like I talked about how you need to start with the cross, take the hit, and bring it to Jesus. I think I used the example of, you know, if you're betrayed by somebody, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's the engagement point with Christ, the one who will never betray us, that gives us what this person took away, um, that reminds us that even though we have betrayed Jesus, like Peter, uh, we're still loved and forgiven. Yeah. So there's a, if, I think it's fair to say that apart from a gospel, Christ crucified and resurrected motivation for forgiveness, all you're looking at is hoping that enough scar tissue builds up over time that you're not feeling it as intensely. Hmm. But that's, mm-hmm. that's a counterfeit forgiveness and not the sure. real deal. And not real mercy either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you talked a little bit to the audience of um, people who might want to say that judgment is unnecessary or there's no right or wrong. Yeah. So that context of people um, fleshing out fleshing out that perspective, what do you want to say? So, so that was the headier part uh-huh. of let's look at what Abraham doesn't do. He doesn't say, hey, what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? It really isn't that bad. Or, God, it's unfair of you to judge negatively. Uh, why can't we just say everybody's awesome or mm-hmm. or there, there isn't any right and wrong and so, so these are talking points that are not not unique to me and if if the more technical term is moral relativism which has been around for a while and um, in some ways less people would even want to claim that they're moral relativists because we do but but it is this like wacky moment where we bounce between the poles of saying, Nobody can tell anybody else what's right or what's wrong for them. All we know is our own truth. And what's right and wrong for me is different from what's right and wrong for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then at the same time, we bounce to the other pole of saying, we, I, we, my community, my tribe, absolutely knows what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. for, Mm -hmm. for other people. And we are very free to look at other people groups and say you are just wrong so 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 there's an internal contradiction there we're like who's to say what's right and wrong it's untrue um it also begs the question because when push comes to shove and our feeling of being wronged starts barking that's a facet of the image of god barking in us again uh, it's just not enough to say or if, if you've been really wronged, either person to person or people group to people group, say, it's just not enough to say, hey, who's to say if this action towards me was right or wrong, but but I just need to be honest that I was offended by it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's that's weak sauce. Right, like right. You're, you're saying this, you have wronged me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there must be recompense one way or another. So I... In, in these sorts of conversations and sermons, I, I try to say that who's to say what's right and wrong? Um, at the end of the day, somebody's got to define it. Yeah. Um, and uh, usually it's the people that you like a lot. So, Em, uh, if, if everybody jumps off the bridge, would you sort, sort of thing? <laughs> there, there, uh-huh. there is kind of, so for all of the seeming sophistication of secularity that says, hey, we have moved beyond any sense of the divine giving color to what's right and what's wrong at the same time you're you're just crowdsourcing your own morality right Right, um uh which sounds less sophisticated and fancy when you put it that way and i do like to mention that who's to say what's right and what's wrong is a luxury take of privileged people yeah where um if you're actually gonna say and hold to there's no right or no wrong. You actually have not been wronged a lot in your life at all. So mm-hmm. be happy <laughs> that you <laughs> that, 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 that you've so avoided hard. real harm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the flow the flow of the sermon was you know muddying the waters context wise, thinking about God as judge. We'll come back to some of these themes next week mm-hmm. with the destruction of Sodom. But then I didn't want to spend too much time there 
And I could have, at one point in the sermon, I thought about flipping the two parts, talking about forgiveness first, and then the heady God is judge stuff, but I wanted to give weight. So the introduction was about the forgiveness piece. Hopefully didn't lose too much attention with the heady God is judge mm -hmm. stuff, but then people were tracking enough to get back to the on the forgiveness train. Right. And then you also had the point of Abraham not superseding God um, yeah. and his judgment, but but actually even though he felt compelled to towards mercy, he still knew his position and that um, he needed to turn to God for yeah. mercy first. For, Bo boldness for, yeah. and humility, not right. just one, not just the other. Good things. Anything else? No. Okay. Yeah, I think Moving we're rounding the corner. Let's wrap up with these couple of sections. To bar band cover tunes. Um, I don't feel like you. I didn't hear any Eagles references. The, the, <laughs> there was a joke Shocked before the sermon confused. recording turned on, but it was there was a quick reference before the. Oh, the sun, I, your the sun press. Your sun press. Actually, yeah. I wrote down sun press. So that was your Eagles reference. Was, I guess. was that actually in the sermon uh, recording? Yeah. Oh. Well, no, I was on YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> was that not in? Did you hear it? The sun press? No, I did not go back and listen to my own oh, sermon recording this okay. week. Sometimes uh, you do. Anyway. Sometimes I do. That's true. The, your, for diagnostic your Shout purposes. out to Sun Press, which did right. have a delicious Cuban sandwich. Right. Um, and you have you have tough standards when it comes to food. I have to extremely tough standards. Food. Um, didn't like their other sandwich as much. It was fine. Yeah, they, they, they have like four or five Cuban sandwiches. Uh -huh. And... The, so we got like the standard. They I call bet. it the real Cubano. Yeah. Um, we we got like so it's like they they have like the real Cuban sandwich and then like three or four riffs on it. The when we went halvesies and got the one with the, that was the riff, it wasn't as wasn't right. As but good. I still think that there could be good riffs out there. So I don't want to discourage that. Yeah. It was just our particular riff. I think that wasn't the right kind of pork. Like I feel like if you have the same kind of Cuban pork and then mm -hmm. add something different as yeah. a topping. I think that would be different, but or good. Yeah. But it was just like a change in the in the actual pork that yeah. made a difference. Like like put a Taylor pork roll in there or something. <laughs> It'd be spectacular. Um so you referenced Sunpress, you referenced <laughs> you kind of referenced the big game. Right. Um It was a uh, George Sarna Sodom sin is heinous moral and social corruption, an arrogant disregard of elementary human rights, and a cynical insensitivity to the sufferings of others. Uh, it was a recent Atlantic article that was talking about uh, the myth of the march of history or progress, when if you look at 10,000 years of more or less recorded history, you know, we do not see unfettered progress mm -hmm. uh, moving up and to the right. And you know, most of our most of our history is pretty bloody, including right now. So if if we want to say that the march of history is proving one thing or another, that's something that you'll hear, you know, at the popular level. But I don't know a lot of super smart people that actually that actually say that mm -hmm. because there's so much diversity of thought about where history is going that uh it, it's painting in strokes that are that are way too way too broad right. um, to to be useful. Uh, Murakami, Haruki Murakami, uh, Tony Belusio and I are going are to get back to completing our top five favorite big books. I forget if I already talked about Murakami or if Murakami is coming up. But what a great line here! There is no silence without a cry of grief. No acceptance without a passage through acute loss. No forgiveness without bloodshed. Which is an echo of the gospel, where there is, there is forgiveness with bloodshed. Then mentioned Romans 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is one of, one of my favorite little verses in New Testament letters. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Mm -hmm. So the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is at the end of the verse, God and Christ forgave you, therefore forgive one another. Right. Short and sweet if it actually works that way. Yeah. That's a that's a good place to like have to stop, I think, um, because, because I think it resonates even. I just remember talking about that with toddlers, our toddlers. Um, but it, it resonates for us too. Yeah. 
Um, leftovers? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> How was the game on Sunday? Uh, <laughs> the Sixers beat the Knicks. Nice. Yeah. Who's on the Knicks again? Random people. Okay. Uh, any Howlin' Wolves? We do have a couple of oh. our perennials. Thanks. Thank you for writing in. And Emma, I had forgotten to check until we started recording. So the I'm I'm writing or I'm reading fresh. Hello, okay. Scott. Hey, Jim and Emily. When you were talking about the rights of humans and or robots. Oh, this is from. Oh, we didn't do the podcast last week. So this is from two, two times ago. It reminded me of the academic study of posthumanism. Becca has definitely studied posthumanism more than I have, so I cannot speak as an expert on it, which is true. I actually took part in a project when Becca was at uh, Rutgers. Uh, I was one of the editors. It was a fun project where she was speaking to posthumanism in the literary word, world. But from what I understand, it's an idea that rejects a human-centric view of the world in favor of robots, flora, and fauna. My one inter interaction with the posthumanist was during a conference on my paper on how 18th century scientists viewed the ability to change their physical environment. The question I got asked was something to the effect of how did these 18th century people believe that nature would respond to humans? Which to me seems to give nature agency. All that to say that yes, speciesism or rights of droids is a question in the world of academia as well. And I actually read another article just a couple of days, or yesterday, actually, Scott, that spoke more, and I, I think we might talk more in this direction next week, where talk more about that in the, the term that this article used was anti-humanism, where there there is an aggressive tilt in academic circles from, you know, humans do have a special place in the cosmos to... A, humans do not have a special place in the cosmos, and B, they need the sooner that we can become extinct, the better. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind that of a happy, fun. happy view. And and then also the word used to describe this other position, transhumanism, where the future of humanity is to transcend our bodies, and one way or another, kind of the Westworld idea of imprinting our consciousness, pre preserving it else. via te technology. And of course, the danger is that the technology could overtake human beings. But even if that's true, kind of a Terminator scenario or a Westworld, it's still simply the right direction to go as humans kind of exit stage into whatever to whatever is, is next. And the point of this article was saying, these sorts of ideas have been around for a long time on the fringes, but they're actually going mainstream. And you have like professors at like real universities that are taking these positions in increasing number right now. So, so the future, fun. the future is here. Scott, thank you for that. Hello, Vaughn. Hey, Jim, Emily, or Steve and Jim, or Eric and Steve, whoever. Not sure. Steve shared this story about a member in his church expressing his appreciation to a fast food chain manager, and it was really hitting home that we all desire. So this was Steve Huber's mm -hmm. uh, Communion Sunday. Everybody that we know has a desire to be valued and appreciated. He connected that with living out the gospel and the good work God has prepared for us in advance to do because God values each of us. Vaughn goes on to say, I came across this thread re reposted from Reddick onto Reddick. Hassan Reddick is a defensive tackle for the Eagles who did not have any sacks on Sunday night. This is Reddit onto Facebook, and it's primarily about appreciating teenagers' efforts, but it is very much like that manager who hadn't been thanked for work that was expected of teenagers him. Teenagers don't need thank I think, hey, you're not reading this email, V. <laughs> I think we could do a lot more to express gratitude towards others around us. While maybe they are just doing their job, they would feel that their humanity is valued just a little bit more. Maybe teenagers should value their parents. <laughs> oh, oh no this is good um it has some <laughs> uh the, so this is reddit so so there's some profanity involved but I'll, I'll i'll just read the first one consider colon teenagers aren't apathetic about everything they're just used to you bleeping all over whatever they show 
they're just used to you bleeping all over whatever they show excitement about. <laughs> Who, me? Probably true. So, so Yvonne, yes, God commands us to show appreciation to the least of these, even teenagers. I deleted my Reddit just because of one of my teenagers telling, challenging me to. Oh, that's also true. But yes, thank you for writing in, Scott and Yvonne. Let's get some more coming in this still new year. Postsundayblues at gmail.com. Great. Write, write, uh, comment. Um, write, rate, review. Things. No, subscribe, don't. Comment. I'm looking at that that note, and I'm thinking, no, you no, really don't. Do it. You don't need to. Uh, just a couple of programming reminders as we round out here. Um, Five Golden Things was on a little bit of a hiatus, but we are coming back this Friday and getting back in the rhythm of every other Friday drops. This one, Valentine's Day edition. So, I was I am recording today with my spouse. Spouse, I recorded an episode, also a Valentine's Day edition with one of my work spouses, Pat McAdams. And he was interviewing me in honor of Valentine's Day, top five lame flirtation strategies from growing up. Or from right now, like go go to a, go to a concert without your wife on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Playing hard to get. That, that, that may have been one of the lame flirtation strategies i'll have to listen and then also lent is coming up i'm excited about that we're going to continue the sermon series but tyler mills and i with eric and becca have been working on our ash wednesday service Mm -hmm. that's gonna come next week and it'll be fun to enter a new liturgical season sounds good and with that how was it That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Nothing sounds good to me. Honey grow? Have you been to Honey Grow? No. I've I don't. been once, and I, that's the kind of takeout I want. It's just like a salad. <laughs> For Valentine's Day? That's depressing. <laughs> Our marriage is in good shape right now. <laughs>